Well, good morning. I hope that um, that is your song this morning. I mean, we're, we could just, I could pray, we could be done, we could leave, and we've had church. I mean, after that song, I tell you what. And we are blessed, church. And I know you know this, but to have the quality of musicians that led us this morning, the quality of mus- musicians that led us previous week, too, that Jason Tucker leads, I mean, we are just, it blows me away. Um, a church like Living Church, people who just serve and the quality and the time and that they invest. Um, there are days when I just sit down and I'm like, man, I, thank you, God. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing that we get to be part of this that God is doing and to do this with people who love Jesus and serve Him so humbly and give of their time. And I'd like to extend just a, a welcome to all of you this morning, especially our moms. Happy Mother's Day. Um, for you, and don't forget on your way out to make sure you pick up your free gift. I've seen them, and they look awesome. I wish I were a mom, because only for the gift that you're going to give, okay, that's it, or gift that you're going to receive this morning, so make sure you get that, and, and appreciate Dave taking time out too to uh, honor Autumn, and I want to do the same for Andrea, and Andrea's not in here because she's in the nursery this morning um, serving, last minute kind of change, and that's just who she is. She's an amazing woman an amazing servant, and so um, I'm blessed to call her my wife and blessed um, to have my kids be able to call her mom, and it was so cool because we were coming home from a graduation open house last night, and we got the music, all of us, me and Andrea up front and the four kids in the night, we got the music cranking, and we are literally like dancing like fiends in the van, right, and I'm going crazy, and I got the window down and everything, and the car next to us pulls up and like wants to look at what we're doing, and all of us are going crazy, Andrea's right there just going, she's the rocker of the family, really, if you know her, she really is, she loves it, and so it's just so cool for me as a dad um, to watch her in many ways serve our family and be part of that, so I'm blessed to call her um, my wife pray with me this morning. God, thank you for this time. Um, I just pray, God, that your spirit would speak now in amazing ways and that you would teach us, um, teach us truths, Lord, this morning that some of us may be familiar with. For others of us, it may be new. And I just ask that your Holy Spirit would reign free this morning and free us from distraction, free me from distraction, give me clarity of mind. Um, And just uh, may this be yours. May this be yours. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to start by saying that today's message is going to create tension. It's going to. It's going to create some serious tension, especially amongst some of the women here this morning. And I honestly thought, man, Mark, are you serious? You're actually going to preach this message on Mother's Day. And I've gone back and forth. Do I really bring it? Do I really bre- preach this or not? This is, could be ministry suicide for me. Okay, tomorrow morning I could be like looking on posts, new pastors, whatever. But this is going to create tension. And it's potential that there's potential that this could actually ruin Mother's Day for some of you. I'm, not, I'm, I'm being serious. There's potential for that to happen. And instead of what you were planning on having for lunch, you're going to have pastor for lunch because you definitely aren't liking what I'm speaking on this morning. But I share that with you up front so when you possibly feel that tension, you're not taken off guard by it. That's why I share that up front. I want you to hear it so when you may experience that tension and you're thinking, 
I don't like that. I don't know if I agree with that. You're not going, okay, he told us, okay, that you're kind of expecting that. Because what we're going to talk about this morning, actually what the Apostle Paul is going to talk to us about this morning, so I'll put all the blame on him, all right? So it's really him giving this message this morning. I'm just the messenger, so don't kill the messenger, all right? But it's really him and what he's going to share with us, what we're going to discover this morning, the truth that he's going to present to us is a truth that's very countercultural for many of us. In fact, our culture sees this as something completely different than how Paul defines it and describes it. And we'll get to what this is in a moment. But I don't have to prove to you this morning that marriages are in trouble. Um, This past week, I had two phone conversations. Both were counseling situations, both involving marriages in crisis. I'm directly or indirectly involved in six or seven different counseling situations, each one of them dealing with marriages that are struggling. A divorce happens in this country every 13 seconds, so by the time I'm done speaking, over 150 marriages will have been filed for divorce. 41% of all first marriages end in divorce, over 60% of all second marriages, and over 70% of all third marriages end in divorce. I mean, in some ways, as I look at those statistics, it breaks my heart, and I hope it breaks yours, but there's part of me that says, are we surprised? I mean, think of the culture in which we live. I mean, we're, bre- we're breaking your wedding day promises. There's an out. It's not a big deal anymore. I mean, the porn industry is killing marriages, and the porn industry is a $10 billion industry that's larger than the NBA, the NFL, and Major League Baseball combined. I mean, it's killing husbands, wives, marriages. I mean, we live in a culture where love is defined by what you get rather than what you give. What have you done for me lately? And so, honestly, it's no wonder then that our relationships struggle. And if you're here, a single young man, a single man, single single woman, or you're married, husband and wife, and you want to truly follow Christ in your marriage, and or when you get married, you, you have great high hopes and aspirations of being married someday, and you want that marriage to look great and live Christ. How, how in the world do you live Christ as a husband or wife in a culture that's so desperately in need of Christ? I mean, how, how do we do this? We continue our series this morning, Inside Out, and we've been looking at a first century letter written by one of the church's greatest missionaries to ever walk the earth. His name is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul writes this letter to a group of friends living in the city of Ephesus, which you would find in modern-day Turkey today. And he is in prison, Paul, and he receives word that his Ephesian friends who have followed Christ, these are people who um, were involved in all kinds of sexual perversion, lived in a city. I mean, the city of Ephesus that they lived in was crazy. It was sin city. It was kind of one of those cities where whatever happens in Ephesus stays in Ephesus, and we've talked about this in previous messages, and it was a city filled with greed and abuse of power and immorality and perversion. It was one of those places, for those of you that maybe are new to the series today, um, Ephesus was uh, the hub of Artemis worship, the goddess of sex, Artemis was, and so a, a man could go down to the temple, and he could... Um, have a relationship with the prostitute at the temple because some historians believe that at the temple of Artemis were priestesses 
who would prostitute themselves at the temple. So a man could leave his house, get up on a Sunday morning, tell his wife, hey, I'm going to church. She's going, which church are you going to? First Church of Artemis. Right? And she knows good and well what that means. So it gave the whole new term, going to church. I mean, it gave, it gave it a whole new meaning. That was the city in which they lived in. And so these people have been rescued out of that. By faith, they have acknowledged their sin before God. They've repented of their sin. They've turned from the living for self and sin. And by faith, trusting Christ, his death and his resurrection, by his grace to free them from their sin, to forgive them of their sin. And now, by God's grace, he has put them inside Christ. And that's now where they live. So they may live in Ephesus, but they really live inside Jesus. And so Paul is writing to these people who are inside Christ. And he hears while he's in prison that they are struggling. They're in a battle for their purity. They're in a battle for their marriages. They're in a battle for their families. And they're in a battle for the glory and name of Jesus. And so he writes this letter, I believe, to encourage them and to strengthen them. And as we've looked in the previous messages, he starts his letter by reminding them who they are. Who they are in Jesus. And he reminds them that, listen, when you're inside Christ, you have a new identity in life. And when you're inside Christ, you receive a new view of life. So you view everything, if you're inside Christ, from the inside out. You view your work differently. You view school differently. You view marriage differently. You view being a husband differently. You view being a wife differently. All from the inside out because of what Christ has done for you. And that's what we've looked at so far in this series. And, the, and he furnishes you just like a fully furnished house. When you come inside Christ, he furnishes you with everything you need for life and godliness. And as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, when you're inside Christ, you realize that he chose you so you belong, so that need to belong is satisfied. So you don't come into marriage to try to have that need satisfied because you already belong inside Christ. And you're lavished with God's grace inside Christ. You don't come into marriage trying to feel accepted or receive that perfect love because you already receive it and have it inside Christ. And if you're looking toward your spouse to provide you that perfect love, good luck. You're going to fail. And you're going to fail at it. But Paul is saying, listen, when you're inside Christ, he fully furnishes you with, he satisfies you with that need for belonging because now you belong to him. He's adopted you. He's chosen you. You have a new family, a new father. He's lavished his Niagara grace on you. So he's loving you perfectly because he's a perfect God. He's marked you with his Holy Spirit. So now your future is secure. So you don't come into marriage hoping to get that security because you already have it inside Christ. That's how Paul starts this letter. He's trying to remind them who they are in Christ, what they have inside Christ. And now he's going to transition his letter. He's going to show them what being inside Christ looks like in the outside life. He's going to show them how living inside Christ affects your outside life, even the married life. And if you join me in the book of Ephesians... We'll be looking at in chapter 5 for most of our text this morning. But I just want to show you how Paul makes this transition. Makes this transition of here's who you are in Christ. Here's what you have inside Christ. And let me show you this affects how you live. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, he says this in verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. He's saying, listen, you've received all these things from Jesus Christ. Now, I urge you to live in your outside life, who you are inside Christ. That's what he says in chapter 4, verse 1, and then chapter 4, verse 17. 
He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Then he goes off and gives examples of how their thinking is futile and darkened. So he's, he's making this transition saying, you're inside Christ. You have a new identity of life. You're seeing everything from the inside out. You've got all you need for life and godliness now. This is what it looks like. Here's what it looks like in the city and culture in which you live. Then chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And verse 2, And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then in chapter 5, verse 8, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are a light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. So he's saying, This doctrine that I've reminded you of, it affects your entire life. It affects everything about you. Who you are inside Christ, it it changes everything, how you see everything, even how you see marriage. Then in chapter 5, verse 15, and we're going to look primarily in this this passage, chapter 5, verses 15 through 33, read and follow along with me. He says, be very careful then, once again in verse 15, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Again, This affects how you live your outside life, all that you are inside Christ. It affects everything. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22. This is where the tension starts. Wives, submit to your husbands. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, after all, no one has ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. What's Paul doing here? He's getting practical. He's getting practical. He's saying, you got to know first who you are inside Christ and all that you have inside Christ. And once you get that, once you keep focusing on that, once you keep looking to who Jesus is and what he's done for you, this is what it looks like even in the married life. You have a whole new view of how you view marriage, how you see marriage. And Paul, in verses 22 through 33, here he's talking about Christ in the church, but he kind of uses the whole marriage relationship as an analogy to point us to Christ in the church. So he gives us some great principles and truths about marriage. And what he's going to do here, and we're going to focus primarily on what he says to the wives today, but the, the husband's day is coming. All right, it's two weeks from now. So ladies, just, okay, they're, they're going to get theirs. All right, so, so it's coming. 
But Paul addresses the wives first, so I'm blaming Paul. We're going to go with the wives first. All right, we're going there. But what Paul's trying to do is I believe he's trying to show them, listen, this is what it looks like to be a wife inside Christ in a culture that desperately needs Christ. This is what it looks like. This is how you live Christ as a wife inside Christ. Now, before we look specifically at what Paul has to say, especially that new S word, all right, before we look there, a word to our single friends this morning. If you're here and you're single, please don't check out. Don't check out. Don't think that, oh, great, a marriage message. This time I'm not coming into it. No, no, no. Hear me out. Don't check out because you need this. All right? You need this because if you are a single person hoping and longing and have aspirations to be married, then you need this so you know what to be looking for and you know the principles and characteristics you need to be working on when it comes to marriage as being a, a wife or a husband. And if you're here and you're a single parent, single mom, single dad, please don't check out on us. I know this could be painful in some ways, but please don't check out. Because if you have kids, this is an opportunity for you to learn the characteristics and the traits and the principles you need to be living out in your life now. As a a single mom, as a single dad. And if you're here and you're married, obviously this is for us as well. All right, or if you're divorced and your first or second marriage was junk, you need this so your third or fourth one doesn't end up the same way. All right, so no one's exempt from listening, okay? No one. Paul's got some truths for us. We've got to remember who he's talking to. He's talking to people who are inside Christ so they see a whole new view of life. They're not coming into marriage to get something. They're coming into marriage to give something. Because they've already received everything they need inside Christ. So they're looking at marriage now. What do I give? How do I give? Not what can I get, but how do I give? In order to accomplish God's purpose and intention for marriage as he's designed it. And he's talking to men and women who are focused and intentional on being spirit-filled. We see that verses 18 through 20. These are people who are desiring to be controlled by the spirit of Christ. They're hungry for God's word. What does God have to say about life, about being a a mom, about being a dad, about being a, a husband, a wife? These are people who want to hear what God has to say, and they want to do what God has to say. They're spirit-controlled. And these are people who are looking to Christ, not culture, for the authority of marriage. Paul quotes from the book of Genesis there later in the passage in chapter 5. So they're, they're not getting their cues from culture and how culture defines and describes marriage. And if we're honest, there's issues there. So if we're looking for them to define and describe what a great marriage is, I think we, we need to look elsewhere. And I would recommend let's go to what God has to say, and that's exactly what they're doing. So you've got to understand who he's talking to, all right, who he's talking to. So what does a wife inside Christ look like? A wife... Inside Christ is a wife who submits to her husband. Man, you're actually bringing this on Mother's Day? Dude, are you serious? Yes. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, I will define what Paul means by submission in a little bit. Culture defines submission, or we feel, when we hear that word submission, man, for some Man, it, it just brings up all kinds of negative feelings, right? 
and thoughts. And we don't like it. The image we, some of us may have is like the caveman guy grabbing the woman by the hair and pulling him into the cave, right? That's kind of the thing we're like, submit, girl. You know, come to me now. You know, kind of, I mean, that's kind of the thing. We have this idea of, you will submit to me. I am man. You are a woman. Come. You know, that, that's kind of exaggerating, obviously. Okay, but that's kind of the thinking. Or we've grown up in a home that, that just, man, we can't stand dad, man, men, that whatever it might be. And so we hear this and we're like, serious? Serious? And what's very unfortunate is that culture has hijacked this word. Absolutely, grossly distorted the meaning of submission that Paul gives here. Completely ripped it apart. Now let me give you a definition of submission that Paul uses here. It literally means to place under in an orderly fashion. It involves, and you see it on the screen, voluntarily placing yourself as an equal underneath the leadership and authority of another equal for a good and proper purpose. That's what submission means. Because if you're inside Christ, Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, 28 says, there's neither Greek nor Jew, nor slave nor free, nor male nor female. We're all one inside Christ. So this is not, submission is not about equality. When you're inside Christ, husbands, wives, you are equal to one another in God's sight. This is not about superiority. This is not about inferiority. This is not about equality when you're inside Christ. I mean, and what's interesting to me is don't we see this in everyday life, in the workplace? You have equals in the workplace, voluntarily, some placing themselves under another person. You may be more qualified even, but you willingly place yourself, hopefully willingly, Place yourself underneath the leadership of another person to accomplish the mission of the company. We see this all the time. We see this in sports all the time. And I'm sorry to use a sports analogy, but I think it's beautiful here. My Cleveland Browns, they just drafted Johnny Football. You know, we had a great day of hope. And then another guy got suspended. You know, I I mean, I love football. and, And there's everything about football that I love. And I think there's something about football that translates here for a great good picture of what submission looks like. In the marriage. If you watch football, a lot of times there will be a timeout. Who usually comes over to the sideline? Most of the time. Does everybody, the whole team? No, the quarterback comes over, right? He's been designated the leader out there on the field. Every one of those 11 guys, it's critically important to accomplishing the goal of the play. Now, on the sideline is the coach. That's Jesus. Jesus got to play. And he's going, listen, here's how you need to live out marriage the way I've designed it. And so the leader comes over. All right, Jesus, what you got for us? He's like, okay, here's what you need to do. And I want you to take this, and I want you to take it back into the huddle. So in humility, the quarterback, if he's great, gets down on one knee, lowers himself even, and he gives the play to the entire family. Wife is there, and the wife's responsibility is to come alongside and to help that quarterback accomplish the mission that God has for marriage. Both are equally vital to getting that play out the way the coach intends. And that's what submission looks like. One lady describes submission this way. Submission is not as much an action as it is an attitude. So it can't be dictated by behavioral prescriptives. Submission boils down to having a spirit of being leadable. Being leadable. I love that word. I think it's a great definition, description of submission. Now, 
Let me give you some observations about submission. It does not cancel out equality. We've already established that. Galatians 3, 28, 29. Look at verse 21 of chapter 5. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he's talking here to men and women inside Christ. So there is a mutual submission here out of your love for Christ. Men and women are, look, how can I serve you? How can I come, on and come alongside you and serve you like Jesus to help us accomplish what Christ has called us to do and to be as his church? We submit, so this is not, submission is not a sexist word. It's not a female word. All right? So this doesn't cancel out equality. Jesus himself submitted. Philippians chapter 2, have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So submission is not a female word. It's not a sexist word. It doesn't cancel out equality. It does not remove your dignity as a woman, doesn't mean you're a doormat, inferior, to be walked all over. Your dignity is not defined by submission or non- unsubmission. Your dignity is defined by the very fact that you were created, ladies, in the image of God himself. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. That's where your dignity comes from. It comes from the fact that you reflect the creator of the universe tonight, today, this morning, and forever. So it does not remove your dignity It does not mean that the woman's job is to do all the housework, all the cooking, remains home barefoot and pregnant while the husband sits around watching TV. It's not what this means. Husbands and wives inside Christ, they serve one another to accomplish the goal and purposes that God has for marriage. You serve one another. In our relationship early on in our marriage, I did the finances. I had to have my hands on that. Then I come to realize Andrea is way better at that than me. Way better. She's a lot more conscious about it, that kind of thing. So, honey, go for it. All right? And I don't feel any less of a man because she's, I'm like, awesome. We need her to do this or we will be in serious deep weeds. Do not trust me. So she does this. We work together to accomplish God's purposes for our family, for our marriage. So it doesn't mean that you have to do all these specific responsibilities and it does not mean, ladies, that you, t- you are to submit to every man, what to say, to your husband. And it does not mean you submit to abuse. Listen, abuse is sin. You don't submit yourself to sin. You confront it, and you deal with it, and remove yourself from it. And if you're here in a relationship like that, we want to love you. And we want to help you, and you please come see me, see your living community pastor, and we will come alongside you and do what we need to help you in a relationship like that. But don't hear submission as something, well, you're in an abusive relationship that you need to submit to that. That is, that is sinful, and you do not submit yourself to sin. You confront it, and you deal with it. And I'm not in any way saying, Paul's not in any way saying this is an easy thing to accomplish. But it does mean, submission does mean that the husband is the leader. He's the leader of the marriage relationship. He says that in verse 23 and 24. For the husband is the, the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Somebody's got to lead. And God in his design of marriage has said the husband is the one to lead that relationship. And now as the church, verse 24, submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I want you to listen to this perspective on submission from a, a woman who is a professor at a seminary. Distinguished professor of women's studies at Southern Baptist Seminary. She's the founder of Girls Gone Wise. She's an award-winning author and an internationally renowned speaker. 
This is what she has to say about submission. She says, for me, submission is one of those things that is far more easily identified by its absence rather than its presence. I know that I'm struggling with it when I'm critical, impatient, defiant, and snarky toward my husband, when I refuse to cooperate and am unresponsive to input, when I rush in and take control, and when I fail to provide space to allow my husband the opportunity to be a man and provide godly oversight for our family. In other words, it's not readily apparent to me when I'm, when I'm submitting, but it's painfully obvious to me when I am not. Now, a word to the guys. We're not off the hook. All right? You should just read the rest of this chapter and look at our responsibilities. Good night, Lucille. I mean, it's, we get, they, they take their cues from, from the church. You know who we take our cues from? Jesus. Hello, stakes really high. All right, so fellas, our time's coming. All right? So ladies, don't give it to them yet. All right? Gentlemen, our responsibility is to model Christ to our wives. How are you doing with that? And if you're a single man, single lady, ladies, how are you demonstrating those kind of characteristics? Men, how are we demonstrating those kinds of characteristics to those amongst us, to our friends? Wives, submit to your husbands, and he tells us why, out of reverence for Christ, one of the purposes for submission in the marriage relationship is to show, ladies, wives, to show your love and respect and your awe of who Jesus is. He ultimately is the king of your life, not your husband. And so out of your respect and love for him and who he is and what he's given you and done for you, placing you inside him, out of reverence for Christ, you look to him and you do what he requests, what he requires because he knows what's best for the marriage relationship. So one of the purposes for submission is to show your reverence and love for Christ. Another purpose for submission in the marriage relationship is to put the gospel on display. To put the gospel on display. And that's what he says here, for the husband is the head of the wife. And so you've got this relationship, the gospel relationship between Christ's relationship with the church and the church with Christ. And you're just showing grace. Showing grace. As you show grace to us crazy guys who are completely from different planets when you show grace to us, you are showing the gospel. You're showing there's, so much, some, there's something so much bigger going on in this than just the horizontal relationship. You're showing Christ. You're putting him on display. And we've got to understand that there's so much more at stake. And so those are a couple reasons why, out of your reverence for Christ, to show your love for Christ, and to, to put the gospel of God's grace on display. If you want to know what submission looks like, look at the cross. Look at the cross. How do you do this? Verse 22, wives submit to their husbands as to the Lord. He becomes your focus. He becomes the one you're looking at. You do this as to the Lord. Your motivation and submission to your husband is out of your love for Christ, for him. You do it as to the Lord. And I believe Paul's also showing here the boundaries of submission. You're doing this to the Lord. So if a husband is asking you to do something that's contrary to what God says, it's sinful, you don't do it. Because you're doing this to the Lord. He is the one you obey first, Acts chapter 5. So if the husband himself is sinning, you graciously, graciously can come alongside him, and you need to confront that in love and come alongside him and help him through that. And again, this is predicated on the fact that he's talking to men and women, husbands and wives who are inside Christ. 
And so how does a wife inside Christ live in a world that needs Christ? She submits to her husband. We are not done yet. Go to verse 33. How else? She must respect her husband. Verse 33. And the wife must respect her husband. And that definition is to treat with deference and honor. I mean, there's so much more that we could talk about this morning. But when it comes to respect, ladies, how are you doing it talking about your husband when he's not around? When you're with your friends and the other ladies are bashing their men. You jump in on that? What do you do? This is not saying that if you're struggling, you can't share. You share. But you can do it in a way that's respectful. How do you talk about him when he's not around? Do you show him respect by not joining in with the slandering that oftentimes takes place? Remember, you reflect the church. And I don't think when the church gets together, we're like, that Jesus, can you believe what he did? I can't believe, oh man, he just does not love me like he should. I can't, that's not going on. You take your cue from the church, right? You respect your husband. And men, are we living our lives in a way to earn that respect of our wives? Some guys are flat out jerks toward their lady. They are making it very difficult for your woman to respect you. We have a responsibility like Christ to be Christ to them. And so a woman who submits, or a woman who is like Christ, inside Christ, is a woman who submits to her husband, a woman who respects her husband, and finally, we're almost through, is a woman who loves her husband. It's not directly in this passage, but in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, Paul writes another letter to a pastor who is leading a church And he's instructing them, and this is what he has to say to Titus. He says, listen, I want you to communicate this. He says, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, Titus 2, verse 3, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to reach what is good. This is Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children. And what's interesting here is the word love. This is not, for those of you that might know some of the the original language of of, of the Scriptures, the Greek, this is not agape love here. This is phileo love. This speaks about friendship, being fond of your husband. Not someone else's man, but your man. Speaks of being a friend or companion. So, wise, would you be able to call your husband friend? Are you friends? Remember, Andrea had a conversation with um, a wife recently and who's been married to this guy for a long time, and she said, I don't even know what he likes. I don't even know what he likes. I mean, I'm not saying your husband needs to be your BFF, all right, but is he your friend? Do you listen to him? And husbands, are you treating your wife in a way to make it easy for her to be fond of you? I mean, listen, do you really listen, gentlemen? Remember a year ago, I was doing a pre-marriage counseling session, and, and one, the lady that, um, a couple, and we're talking about communication and, and the need for listening and how guys struggle with it, guilty. Oh, man, guilty. You know, Andrea will just, you know, she'll tell me something, and I'm just off in la-la land, you know, and she'll be like, so you're going to do that? I'm like, what'd you say? Death. Right? I mean, just, what'd you say? And then he was like, oh, man, I, you know, there's no, you, you're done. Don't try to fix it. It's over. You just confess it, apologize, and don't ever do it again. All right, but I was with this couple, and, and she said, you know, she said these words. She said, it's sexy when a husband listens to his wife. I'm like, whoa, I've been missing that all my life. So I'm like, guys, right here, yeah, honey, whatever. What would you say? Put it down. 
What's up, girl? I am all ears and more. I'm all ears, right? So, guys, are we living in a way that is inviting our ladies to be our friend, to be our friend? It's going to be difficult for her to be your friend if you're not listening to her. I don't want to just jump on the guys because their time's coming, but we get it, you know, it's, we're responsible here, gentlemen. But ladies, do you love your husband or your friend? And listen, I understand that some of you here this morning, ladies, this is not an easy thing. And I know this is a long message, okay? But I believe it's critical because it flies in the face of the culture in which we live. And I know some of you might be saying, I can't do this, man. You don't know my husband. You don't know my past. And I get that. Well, you know what? I don't understand. I don't want to claim that I understand it because I don't. Because I'm not you. I don't understand your situation. And the reality is you can't do this outside of Christ. It's impossible. It's impossible to do it the way that Paul describes. But you've got to look to Christ, not your past, not your present circumstance. You do this out of reverence for Jesus. And if you're in an abusive, abusive relationship, please get help immediately. We want to come alongside you and help you through that. You do not submit to that. And you're saying, well, what if my husband isn't leading me? He's not inside Christ. Then you need to write down this passage, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, which says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Scripture speaking. It doesn't mean if he's not leading you that you don't read your kids' Bible stories or you don't come and be with the church. No, you continue to, to do what you can spiritually for your family. Or maybe you're here and you say, I don't have a husband. You're a single mom, single lady here. Then your focus right now is to submit to Jesus and you love him like crazy. And you love him like crazy. You get to know him like you've never known him before. You become the young woman, the woman that God desires you to be as he's recorded in Scripture. So how does a wife inside Christ live Christ in the world that needs Christ? She is a wife. Yeah, we talked about this on Mother's Day. Can you believe it? She's a wife who submits to her husband. She's a wife who respects her husband. She's a wife who loves her husband. And she does it all because of his grace and for his glory. Look into Jesus. You see, so when you're looking at him, you know what's in between you and him? Jesus. The cross. You're looking at him out of reverence for Christ. Just imagine a movement of men and women, husbands and wives, who come into marriage not to get something, but to give something. Can you imagine what that would communicate in a culture that sees it exactly opposite? And as you live this, through Christ, from inside Christ, you put Jesus on display. You put him on display. And so if you're here outside Christ, I encourage you to come inside Christ this morning. Step out of your sin, confess it, acknowledge it before God, look into Christ and his cross and his resurrection to receive his forgiveness of sin and to come inside Christ and receive all that he has for you inside him. And then through him, you are able to be the wife that he's created you to be. So come inside Christ this morning. If you're here inside Christ, just look around. Like we said a couple weeks ago, look around. Look at all that he's given you inside Christ and remember who he is and what he's done. Listen. Paul transitions and he says this, who you are inside Christ, what you have inside Christ affects how you live your outside life, even your married life. And as you are inside Christ, you are viewing everything differently from the inside out. Father, thank you.
Thank you for giving me grace this morning. Thank you for the patience of those here. Lord, this is a, a truth that is not easy to share, but yet it can be life-transforming as it's an opportunity for us to put your gospel on display, to put you on display. I'm thankful that we don't do this alone, that you've given us your spirit, and we do this inside Christ. For those here this morning that are outside of Christ, I ask that right now they would call on you and say, Jesus, bring me inside. I confess my sin to you. I'm trusting you to forgive me. Give me all that you are and all that you have. I pray that this morning they would come inside. And for those struggling this morning with this truth, that tension is there, God, I pray that you would give them the grace to receive it. Give them, all of us, husbands, wives, men, women, the grace to receive this truth. It's in Jesus' name I pray.